right, good to see you. Do you mind if I get a little controversial today on this series? Is that okay? Can you handle that? All right, we're going to do that. But first, let me tell you some miracles, some great things that God is doing. You know, we launched uh, uh, the idea about six to eight weeks ago that we were going to do Bible clubs in the public school systems. And so we began to, to bring the students together, and this was all under the leadership, really, of, of Jared and Lucinda Davidoff that, that uh, lead a ministry out of South Africa, live here eight months out of the year. They're in 91 public schools in uh, LA and Orange County. And so we did our first one in Diamond Bar at the high school there, and our students uh, formed the leadership team of that. And so we had uh, adults come in, uh, you know, kind of college-age students come in to assist, and the school prevented them from going in. That was the first hiccup, and we thought, oh no, we we can't be a part of Rush. But anyway, the student that was involved in that, Takiana, she she took it serious, she went in there, and uh, she enrolled 54 students in the first Bible club. The entire football team also signed up. I mean, think about that. So God is doing some really, really great stuff. Also this week, uh, we started back in our school of ministry. We had 85 enrolled uh, for our school of ministry. If you want to be a part of that, there's information on the way out, and you can uh, find out. We don't have room for maybe five more people, honestly, because it's just a packed house, great situation, two- and three-year school of ministry. You don't have to be going into ministry to be a part of it. You can come as a learner, grow, gain some information. It'll be super. Then also just want to report that uh, our facilities uh, uh, manager, Milt, was diagnosed with what what would be kind of a cancerous situation, and he told the doctor he's been healed, and the doctor said, yeah, yeah, right, right. Anyway, the doctor went back and said, Milt, I don't know what happened, but you're healed, you're cancer-free, so give God the glory. Amen? Um, you know, as we stop, I, I just want to stop, and I want us just to pray right now. Would you just bow your head? I want to just really go into the kingdom right now and ask God to do something here. Heavenly Father, as we begin to pray, we ask you, God, to speak to our heart fresh, God, that you would just touch us in a mighty way. God, we approach a, a subject like uh, prophecy and current events, knowing, God, that you are the creator and you are the revealer of all truth. So we pray, God, that this message will will ring a a strong chord in our hearts, give us insight into what's happening in our world, give us some some ideas of what we can expect as we see your kingdom unfold in Jesus' name, amen. One of the things I want to do is I want you to understand that you can tie current events to the Bible. So whenever I read online messages from different news agencies, what I'm doing is I'm looking and I'm asking myself, Does that have any relationship to what the Bible has to say? Where does that fit in the world of prophecy? Also, as I look at it, I I want to just kind of take note because it gives us opportunity to either pray or to go or to give around the world. So here's some headlines that I pulled up in the last week or so. Let me just bounce these off. Here's the first one. West African health centers can't keep up with the Ebola outbreak, says the World Health Organization. Now, they expect that if something is not contained, it could reach 100,000 people with about an 80% mortality rate. First cases of some of those have been reported, not just in Africa, but in America. 
Now, when you begin to take that globally and you ask yourself, what's going on? The first thing that's going to be triggered in your mind is, didn't I read about something like that in the book of the Revelation? Or didn't Jesus have something to say about famines, pestilence, wars, and rumors of wars? And the answer is yes. Here's the next uh, article that I pulled up. First French airstrikes in Iraq hit ISIL depot. Now, the reason I, that one was curious to me was because you begin to see a, a new coalition of forces coming together. The French have obviously stayed out of a lot of conflict. We won't comment on that. But I also thought it was interesting because it doesn't refer to ISIS here, it refers to ISIL. And I'm going to come back and tell you why that distinction is being made in the news media by some of the news media. Here's the next one. This one was really a little bit funny to me. President Obama said, Islamic State is not Islamic. That's like saying the Christian church is not Christian. And there seems to be some effort to deflect uh, on the part of media, on the part of our government, that the idea of what's happening in the Middle East is not connected to Islam. But you've got to remember that it comes right from the Quran. The writings are clear. You say, but I know a lot of peaceful Muslims. I do too. That doesn't mean the Quran is peaceful. And that's an important distinction you have to make. Here's another one, very interesting. Moscow troops could be in five NATO capitals in two days, boasts Putin. Leader boasted a Ukrainian president about the Russian power. Now what we're seeing is we're seeing this resurgence of Russia. The reason that's critically important is because Bible prophecy is very clear about uh, uh, identifying that great uh, uh, power from the north called Gog and Magog. And they fit into end time prophecy. What we got fooled by was uh, Russia was, it seemed to be, out of the limelight and laying a little bit low, but now, uh, now with a new organization, new intelligence organization, and the rise of Putin is really almost a czar, we're seeing his desire through Ukraine to want to rebuild what's happening in the, what was existing in the former Soviet Union. And he is very embraced very bold. Well, in time prophecy ties Gog and Magog to Iran, which in the Bible is called Persia, and Persia is also tied to Turkey, which in the Bible is called Tagarma, and then Germany is tied to it, which its ancient name is Gomer. And the, probably the big event that's going to happen prophetically before the return of God, before the unfolding of, of the tribulation, is going to be the battle of Ezekiel 38 and 39, which we'll talk about later in this series. So when you see Russia, you see Germany, you're seeing some of these nations that are kind of aligning themselves in unusual ways, what you want to do is ask yourself, what's going on? Is there anything I can learn from that? Well, let's take our Bibles and go to the book of Matthew, chapter 24. In Matthew 24, we find the disciples, they wanted to know some answers as well. They sat down with Jesus on the Mount of Olives, very strategic that that was the place of the question and that the questions they ask. They sit down and they ask this question. As they, it says, Jesus went out and departed from the temple and his disciples came up to show him the buildings of the temple. And Jesus said to them, do you not see all of these things? Assuredly, I say to you, not one stone shall be left upon another. Now, let's just stop right there for a moment. I put a little note there 
Titus, A.D. 70. The reason I put that is because this is literally a fulfillment of prophecy. What Jesus said, and the disciples really weren't following, didn't understand what he was saying, but he was saying that the temple will soon be destroyed. We know from our understanding of prophecy that later it will be rebuilt. In fact, the Orthodox Jews are in the process. The plans are already done, and many of the pieces of furniture for the new temple are already constructed. But what he didn't know at that time, and what, I mean, what they didn't know at that time was what was going to happen. In 70 AD, the Roman general Titus came in, and he destroyed the temple. And so what you have today, when you see that temple mount and you see that wailing wall, are remains of that temple that Titus destroyed in 70 AD. But the prophecy says, not one stone shall be left upon another that has not been thrown down. Now, what does that mean? Well, what happened when they came in? They, they came in so fast and so furious, and they burned the temple down without removing the gold and the silver from inside the temple. The burning of the temple created a, uh, the heat that caused the gold and the silver to melt and get down in between the cracks on the stones. When they realized what they did, the Roman soldiers began to take and move these stones out of the way, off of their foundation, in order to extract the gold and the silver, thus fulfilling Jesus' prophecy right here, right before his death. So whenever you read the scripture, know that God is a revealing God. God is showing you things all along the journey. Now, verse 3. Now, as he said on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately saying, now, when I read prophecy, what I do is I'll stop there and say, now, wait a minute. Why didn't it just say he sat down and he began to teach? He wants you to take note of where he is. He's on the Mount of Olives. So where is he at? He's on the Mount of Olives. That's important. Now, if you're taking notes in your Bible, write in the margin of your Bible next to Mount of Olives, write Zechariah, and you spell that Z-E-C-H, period. Right? Zechariah, Zechariah chapter 14. And that's going to be a critical passage. In fact, we're going to look at it in just a moment, related to where Jesus sat, and he sat on the where? The Mount of Olives. Okay, now keep that in mind. He said on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately saying, tell us when. Isn't that what we want to know? When are you going to do this? When are you going to return? When's this going to happen? When's that going to happen? And then it says, and what will be the sign? Use the word here, meaning the unusual occurrence of your coming. That is your visible unveiling. Somehow they understood he was coming back, and yet they couldn't understand that he was leaving. And there's this tension that's always in Scripture where you're trying to, they're trying to gather what he said and try to piece the pieces together. Okay, uh, and of the end or the completion of the age, of the period of time. So here's what the disciples knew. They knew that God had arranged times and seasons throughout history. They knew that Jesus was uh, somehow tied in to these ages and the way that God was working, but they didn't understand how all that, what all that meant. So what they said, okay, now tell us when and tell us what will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age we currently have. So they're asking some of the right questions. In fact, they're asking the same questions you and I might be asking right now. Jesus answered and said, take heed that no one deceives you. Before I answer the question, I want you to take note. People are going to try to trick you. 
there's going to be people who are going to give you the wrong message about the return of Christ. We've seen it really in recent years, haven't we? Someone comes along and says, the end of the world's coming on this date, Jesus is coming on this date, whatever. Anybody who gives you a date, walk away. Okay, because Jesus said, no man knows the day of his return, not even the Son of Man. So God is is holding that date back. He's not releasing that date, because if you knew that date, what would you do? Well, you'd live your life differently, wouldn't you? You'd say, man, I've only got like two weeks before Jesus comes back. I'm running my MasterCard to the max. (laughs) Right? I mean, you would do something. I'm I'm, I'm telling my boss I'm over. I'm quitting. They actually tried to do that in the book of Thessalonica that says apparently they thought the Lord was coming back. Someone had given them that message and they all quit their jobs and then nobody had jobs. They're showing up at work, uh, church going, hey, we need some help. Jesus had a, or Paul had a very good word for him. You know what he said? If they don't work, don't let them eat. Everybody goes back to work when they get hungry. Amen? Okay, that was the process that he had there. Now look, Okay, it says here, take heed that no one deceives you. That word deceive in the Greek is a word that means to bait the hook. You see, the fish doesn't bite the hook because it's a nice shiny hook. He bites the hook because something allures him and pulls him in that direction. Short answers, quick answers, you know, telling me what I want to hear and I'll follow you anywhere, right? I mean, that's how astrology works, isn't it? If I tell you what you want to hear, then what I'll follow you. I'll even pay you. I always wondered, you know, if, if I'm like a fortune teller, you know, why don't you just get some inside track? win the lotto, shut down the business, and go on a vacation, okay? And they'll say, well, no, we can't use it for our own personal gain. I said, then do it free. (laughs) Okay, now, watch this. So, some will come to you and say, I am the Christ. I am the anointed one. Listen to me. And notice what it says, and they will deceive many. You will hear of wars, rumors of wars, see that you're not troubled. In other words, war is going to be a natural part of society. Because of the rebellion that man has toward God and the animosity he has toward others' ideas, their race, and every other thing you can imagine, there's going to be this enmity. So wars and rumors of wars are always going to be a part of life. For these things must, that is, they're necessary to come to pass, But the end, and he uses the word here, telos, that means the termination. But this is not the end. Because you see a lot of wars, that's not the end. There will be one final war, it's called the Battle of Armageddon. It takes place in this valley of Megiddo. We'll address that later in the series. That battle will bring to an end, but that is the final battle on earth. He's not talking about that in this context. Now, verse 7 is where it really gets interesting. This is where if you've got your Bible and you're taking notes, you need to underline a few things, make some notes somewhere along the line. For nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. The first time that happened was World War I. There was never a global conflict until World War I. There was never this time where nation and kingdom were rising up against one another. So if I'm taking notes, if I'm an astute Bible prophecy nut, what I'm going to do is I'm going to look at that passage and I'm going to put me a note there. World War I may be significant here. World War I took place 1914 to 1917. And it was very strategic in many, many ways. It really points to a number of things. Because coming out of World War I, we're going to find some interesting dimensions to it. And I'll address that in just a moment. 
Now, and it says there will be famines. Those have always been a part of man. Pestilence, they've always been a part of man. In fact, when the Black Plague came in the 13th century, one-third of all of Europe died. It's interesting right now, the Center for Disease Control admits that they spent $46 million five years ago to prepare us for a pestilence, a kind of a disease that might happen in America. However, the problem is that they've never renewed it and almost everything that they bought is expired. The other thing is not really what's... Uh, uh, what, what, what they have or what they don't have, but how do you really distribute that? Imagine mass chaos of, let's just say, a small area. We saw what happened in Ferguson, Missouri, right? Ferguson, Missouri, you just had some, you know, some uprising, and they didn't know how to control it. They just basically said, let's just let it go and let it run its own course because any pressure we put on it may create a bigger problem. Well, now imagine if you're in a city of, let's say, a million people and in a million people, there's an outbreak of a very scary kind of a pestilence a disease. Where are you going to go? How are you going to get help? And who, how are you going to identify who's actually sick and not a carrier in the process? Now you say, well, boy, you're scaring me to death here. No, now stop and think. Every time you understand the world you live in and you realize the danger side of things, you ask yourself this, but who do I put my faith in? My, one of my favorite professors when I studied at Oxford was a former head of the, of the biological warfare department for the Royal Air Force. And I asked him one time, I said, hey, given all you know about what's going on in the world, how do you sleep at night? He said, it's easy. I have a faith in a sovereign God. You see, if you really have your faith in God, it eliminates, it drives fear out of your life. So don't let these things frighten you. Just realize this is the world you live in. I'm not telling you anything you're not reading or seeing on the news on a daily basis. Okay, so as we begin to think about this, okay, what do we do? How do you prepare for, you don't prepare for something like that. There is no preparation you can make to get ready for that other than trust in the Lord. Pestilence, earthquakes in various places. Now, up until a few years ago, uh, the, the, seismic, uh, the government seismic sites would tell you that uh, earthquakes are not increasing. It's just we have better ability to detect that. That stopped about three years ago. They said they're definitely on the rise. There's definitely more going on. There's definitely an increase happening in our world. But look what Jesus says. All these things are the beginning of sorrows. Okay, and he uses a term here of birth. Okay, when you're pregnant, ladies, those of you who've been pregnant, and you have those beginning of, oh my gosh, I'm so big. Right? I remember my wife, oh, I'm feeling so big. Okay? And then you have, oh, I'm so uncomfortable. And then you get a little joy, right? I felt the kick. Felt the baby. I'm excited. Right? And then all of a sudden, labor pains begin. He's talking here about that phase. When labor pains begin, he said, that's not the end. You're just feeling the pressure of what's happening for the time you're in. When's the baby coming? We don't know. But what does every woman say who's pregnant? I think I'm going to come when? Early. Right? Ladies, am I right? I think I'm going to come early. Hey, listen. Jesus will come when Jesus will come. 
He's not gonna come on your time frame or my time frame. He's not gonna come early or late. He's gonna come exactly at the right time. Now let me give you a little overview of Bible prophecy, why it's important. You realize about one-fourth of the entire Bible is prophetic. That is, it points to something that's going to happen in the future. Now, if it's 25% of your Bible, that means it's pretty important that you understand what it says and how it relates to life. The other thing to understand about Bible prophecy, it's unique. You don't find prophecy in the writings of Buddha or Confucius. You do not find it in the Quran. You do not find it in the writings of Hindus, nor do you find it in the writing of the Book of Mormon. You find it only in the Bible, the Word of God. People say, well, what about Nostradamus? I mean, isn't that guy, wasn't he prophetic? You can make his stuff say almost anything. But the key for the Bible is, how do you know a prophet is truly of God? The Bible says they're never wrong. In other words, Bible prophecy, if God says something, then it has to be true, or that, that prophet is considered a false prophet. So when we think about Bible prophecy, it's unique. It also reveals the future. So I can read in my Bible, in the book of Isaiah, for example, 600 AD it was written. It talks about someone who's coming, who's gonna be pierced through, his hands pierced through for my transgressions. He's gonna be buried in a rich man's grave. He's, going to, he's not gonna be suffered death. He's gonna rise from the dead. He writes that 25, 2600 years before Jesus is ever born. That's prophetic down to the very detail, even of dividing up his robe, it's in scripture. Where he's born in scripture, it's prophetic, it's pointing something. One of the great uh, validators of the word of God is prophecy. Because I can validate a document that's ancient with what's happening today. Also, it helps us to understand current events. When I read the Bible and I say, gosh, what's going on in my world? And then all of a sudden I begin to look and I say, wow, you know, I'm, I'm over here and, and I'm reading this and I'm in the book of Zechariah and, and this kind of going on. So let me give you an example. Jesus was seated, oh, was seated with his disciples where? Okay, you got to talk louder because it's hard to hear up here. On the where? He was on the Mount of Olives. That's important, right? Now let me take you to the book of Zechariah. So if you have your Bibles, turn over there to Zechariah. I know it's a hard one to find. The best way to find it is that table of contents in the front, right? You got it? And it says Zechariah. If you have like the little thumb index, it helps you. Someone told me one time, those are cheaters. Oh yeah, I'm cheating to get to the Bible quicker. That doesn't even make sense, okay. So now Zechariah chapter 14, let me just read kind of selectively through this. You can take notes if you don't have it open, but let me just read it to you. Verse one, behold, the day of the Lord is coming. So he's talking about the return of Christ. Now go down to verse, uh, verse three. Then the Lord will go forth and fight against those nations as he fights in the day of battle. Now verse four is key. And in that day, his feet will stand on the mount of olives. There it is. So when Jesus was on the Mount of Olives, Matthew 24, he's taking you back to the book of Zechariah, okay? Now notice what it says, which faces Jerusalem on the east, and the Mount of Olives shall split in two from the east to the west. Now prophecy says, now imagine this, here's the Mount of Olives, Jesus is returning to the Mount of Olives, and it's going to split from the east to the west, and if you read the prophecy further, and that split is gonna take from there, and it's gonna run all the way down 
through the Dead Sea, through the Sea of Galilee, all the way down to the very southernmost part of that landmass. That's ridiculous, isn't it? He said that the world is going to split open, the Kidron Valley is going to be exposed, you're going to see this great thing. Well, Zechariah was not a geologist as far as I know. Maybe he was just using some language to get our attention. It's going to be really cool, Jesus is going to come back, it's going to split, it's going to go, and then Jesus up on the Mount of Olives and he takes them back to that Mount of Olives. What I think Zechariah didn't know, I suspect Jesus did, was that the Rift Valley runs from the Mount of Olives all the way south. It's one of the great fault lines that happens in that Middle East area. And, uh, and it says a great river will form out of that. There is actually an underground lake underneath that area that will form a mighty river and a mighty stream that could very well point to the river of Almighty God. How do you know that? Prophetic. He knew because the God of the universe revealed it to Zechariah. Jesus was validating what Zechariah wrote in Matthew chapter 24. You see, what prophecy does, it helps you to know the times and the seasons. So if you ever go to Israel and you stand on the Mount of Olives, what you do is you get this picture of what it would look like if a valley opened up and God fulfilled prophecy. Deuteronomy chapter 29 and 29, listen to this. The secret things belong to the Lord our God, but those things which are revealed belong to us and to our children forever. God has some things he doesn't reveal, but God says, I reveal things to you. I want to show you things from my word so that you have a better understanding of what I'm up to. Amos chapter 3 and verse 7. Surely the Lord God does nothing unless he reveals his secret to his servants, the prophets. God says, I don't do anything unless I tell you in the prophets. You want to know what I'm up to? Read the word of God. You want to see what the future's all about? Read the word of God. And that's why I like to say, if you have the Bible in one hand, and in the other hand, you have a newspaper, you have an online media source, what you can do is you can begin to see what's going on in our world. Now, what I'm getting ready to tell you is amazing. All right, are you ready? Say amazing. amazing. Okay, I hope it is. Now look, prior... <laughs> Prior to World War I, listen carefully, prior to World War I, there was not a single measurable sign of the Lord's return. Prior to World War I, there was not a single measurable sign to the Lord's return. But guess what happened in November of 1917? A guy by the name of Balfour established a declaration and it would assign a homeland to the Jewish people. Now the reason that's important is because the Jewish nation had been without a homeland since 606 BC when Babylon invaded. 2,500 years they've been without a homeland and all of a sudden, right after World War I, remember? Nation against nation, kingdom against kingdom, Right after that, the fulfillment of it, what happened? They said, we're going to give the homeland to the Jews. And what was really happening was the Ottoman Empire, part of Turkey was a part of that, the Ottoman Empire began to crumble, and they began to reallocate up the Middle East to try to control the politics and the power of the nation. And that's why you're seeing some of the crazy things that are going on with different nations that are positioning themselves and jockeying themselves in the Middle East for power and for authority. 
But something else happened. That was November. In December of 1917, General Allenby liberated Jerusalem from the Ottoman Turks. Now all of a sudden you have a homeland, the idea is established, it won't happen till later, but now you also have Jerusalem that has been liberated, it's been held captive for all of these years. Now the opportunity is for someone to take that over and we know who that someone became. So World War I was a turning point. Matthew chapter 24 verse seven says, nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. Then what happens in 1948? The war's over, Germany has devastated the Jewish people around the world, right? More than 6, 6 million Jews have been killed in the Holocaust. What hope is there for a people so devastated to rise up and become a nation? By the way, there's never been a nation that is dissolved that's come back except Israel. There's never been a nation that's called my people other than the nation of Israel. There's never been a city that's been called by God my city except the city of Jerusalem. It is the spiritual hub of the universe. More happens in that square footage in terms of controversy than happens in the entire world in an entire year. Why? Because this is a spiritual vortex that God has established for the kingdom of God. And that's why Muslims try to call it home, Christians call it home, and Jews it is home. So, not a single thing has happened there. Now watch, nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom, Israel comes and establishes three years after World War II, and they become a, a nation. No less than six major battles, major wars have come against Jerusalem, against Israel, trying to crush them since their establishment of a nation. More powerful, outnumbered, sometimes 100 to 1, and yet they thrive. Why? Because of the promises of God. God had a purpose. God was bringing them back into the nation. Then what happens? Just two years later, Israel establishes a law called the law of return. And what that said was every Jew living everywhere in the world can come back and they can take up citizenship in Israel. This is going to be the place for all Jews worldwide to come back. Now, that wasn't just a good strategy. That was a fulfillment of prophecy. God promised the return of his people to his land. In fact, if you watch some of the footage that went on recently, uh, they were interviewing some Israeli soldiers during the Gaza uh, Strip kind of uh, deal, and there were, everyone they interviewed was from Amer America. And they were from Indiana, they were from Iowa, they were from, you know, uh, Alabama, and they go, you know, and they speak with this, this, this American accent, and you're going, what's going on here? These are Israelis, sir. Well, why are you here? Well, I'm a Jew. This is where I'm supposed to be. And God is, is drawing them in, drawing them in. Now, remember we said earlier that, that Israel ceased to be a nation in 606 B.C. So what happened? Babylon comes in, a guy by the name of Nebuchadnezzar. I call him Nebi. It's a little bit easier to spell, a little bit handier, right? Okay, so Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar comes in and he devastates, he wipes out basically the infrastructure of the nation of Israel. It ceases to be a nation at that point. It will not be one for now hundred or for 2,500 years. So Babylon comes in, and it's interesting because Babylon is in the news today, is it not? It's just present-day Iraq. Now remember, the borders aren't exact because there's been a lot of shifting and turning around, right? But what we have to understand about Babylon is Babylon is not just a country. 
it's not just a city, it is a spiritual entity and a kingdom. Let me take you back. If you're taking notes, Genesis chapter 10. There's, a, there's something called the Tower of Babel. And it says it was the first kingdom. The first kingdom in the Bible was Babel or Babylon. The man that ran that outfit was a guy by the name of Nimrod. And Nimrod is about as close to the Antichrist as you can find. And he decides what? I'm going to build this tower of Babel up to the heavens. In other words, God is nothing. Let me show you what I can do. And what I love the way that God, the, the language is written. God says, let me come down and see this site that they have made. In other words, it's kind of like a parent who has to get down and look at the Lego toys that their kid just made. God says, let me look down and see what they have done. And then God confuses the language, and here's what he says. If I don't confuse their language, there is no limit to what they can do. In other words, they will run their course apart from me altogether. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to confuse the language. But here's what's interesting. Babel starts in Genesis chapter 10. Babel continues and never stops until Revelation chapter 17, where we find Babylon, the great whore, the mystery religion. We understand something about there's two Babylons. There's a Babylon that's a physical, geographical spot on the map, but there is also a mindset or a religion, a Babylonian mystery religion that runs the course all the way through society. And so that's going to be the contention all the time. Now let me take you to a little bit of controversy. So all of a sudden we have these ISIS uh, group that comes in, and the idea is that they're going to establish an uh, a Islamic state, okay, in Babylon or Iraq and Syria. That's what ISIS stands for, Iraq and Syria. And they're really clear about their intentions. They later try to do a little bit of maneuvering and say, no, it's just going to be an Islamic state. We're going to call ourselves IS or IS, right? But then all of a sudden, we see this reluctance on the part of America, the reluctance to get involved. We see the, one of the great genocides uh, against the Christian people ever going on right now in that part of the world. And we're stepping back going, well, I don't know if we're going to do anything. And then the president comes out and calls them uh, JVers. You know, they're just, uh, just kind of amateurs in this whole process. Then all of a sudden you realize that now they have taken over strategic areas. They've taken over air, uh, an airfield in Syria. They have MiG fighters. They have taken over oil feeds, fields in Mosul. They have now gained to themselves the banking industry of Babylon. Now they're recruiting people worldwide from America, Australia, around the world. And all of a sudden you go, wait a minute, this is the best trained group of terrorists we've ever seen. In the middle of that, the president goes on record and says it repeatedly. He refuses to call them ISIS, but calls them ISIL. I-S-I-L. And you're trying to get all this terminology straight. Is it I-S? Is it ISIS? Is it ISIL? What is going on? And most of us don't really follow what's happening there, but he's really using a term that's very, very significant. He's referring to the L stands for Levant. And Levant refers to the landmass from the very north up in what would be Babylon all the way down through Syria, through Israel, and down into Egypt. He refers to an Islamic state that does not recognize Israel. That's what the term Levant means. It takes Israel out of the picture and says all of this 
is going to be a, 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 a caliph, there's going to be a, a caliphate that's going to run a kingdom of Islam all down through here. He went on so much, he spent so much time on it that he literally said, let me say that again, it's ISIL. So what we're getting here is a message that a non-recognition of the nation of Israel. It's clear that the administration has been very big on the disregarding of Israel or trying to try to function without them if I can, and that would be historic set of historical precedents for America because we have been very pro-Israel ever since its birth. We believe in the Abrahamic promise where it says in Genesis chapter 12, I will bless those who bless you and I will curse those who curse you. So what we find is that we believe that when we bless the people of Israel, that we receive the Abrahamic blessing back on us. When we curse or disregard the people of Israel, then we receive back likewise a curse upon us. So what we want to do is we want to say we recognize that, that, that God, you have a chosen people, not because they're, they're not chosen for salvation, they're chosen for a purpose. They don't always do what's right any more than anybody else does. God said, I put my hand on you and I chose you for a very particular purpose. You know, just like you and I. You know, when God reaches out and touches you and loves you, you know, it's not, it's, it, he reaches you out and touches you because he loves you, but he has a purpose for your life. Not just to, to enjoy life and grow old together and have fun. It's, it's also a kingdom purpose. That God wants to use you in a way to, to reach someone's heart, to change someone's life, to see a miracle transpire in their life. We're like an entire church full of ministers who are turned loose on the world to speak the name of Jesus. We're called ambassadors of Jesus Christ. Think about that. So we can lift up his name and represent him here from that kingdom to this kingdom and make his name known wherever we go. Now, let's move on. The regathering begins. So what we have, I want, you, I want to begin to just take some little spots here as we look at the signs of, uh, of, of the return and signs of the time. Listen to this. Isaiah chapter 11 and verse 12. It says, He will set up a banner for the nations and will assemble the outcasts of Israel and gather together the dispersed ones from Judah from the four corner, corners of the earth. Now what does God say in Isaiah 2,500 years ago? I'm going to bring everybody from the four corners of the earth. I'm going to bring them together back to Israel. And they're going to be like a banner. In other words, there's going to be so bold and so, so uh, bodacious, if you will, that everybody's going to go, why is everybody going back to Israel? It's going to be like a banner that's being flown. Now, Zechariah chapter 3 at verse 10. This is where it really gets interesting. From beyond the rivers of Ethiopia, my worshipers, the daughter of my dispersed ones. Here's what God says. I'm going to go down to Ethiopia, and I'm going to bring the Jews in Ethiopia back to Israel. He says it in Zechariah. So he says it 2,400 years ago. Well, how did Jews get down there? Well, we don't really know for sure. We do, uh, there is some belief that in Ethiopia is the Ark of the Covenant. You may have heard about that, the Orthodox Church holding that down there. I actually know one man that is in charge of the security for that, which is kind of interesting. But how did they get down there? The belief is that Solomon and the Queen of Sheba connected, they had children, and there's clearly DNA of all these Ethiopians in Ethiopia of Jewish DNA. So all of a sudden, God says, you know, I want, those, I want them back in Israel. I want to get the Ethiopians to Israel. Now, now think about this. How do I do that? 
They're Ethiopians. They're going through some terrible times. They're going through some difficulty. God says, no, I want to get them up here. So here's what God does. God moves the heart of the government of Israel in 1984 to establish something called Operation Moses. And here's what they do. They send planes into Ethiopia, and they say any Ethiopian of Jewish descent, verifiable, you can get on this plane, we'll fly you out of Ethiopia, we'll land you in Israel, and you will have full citizenship as, as, as an Israeli. They airlifted 8,000 Jews out in 1984. 1991, they do it again. It's called Operation Solomon. On that particular time, they airlift out 14,500 Jews of Jewish descent. They bring them into the land of Israel. Then what happens in 2012, they do a final, what they believe is a final uh, call, and it's called Operation Dove's Wings, and they find 240 more Jews, and they bring them back into the land of Israel. This is crazy. Zechariah the prophet said it. And it's being fulfilled in our lifetime. That's why I said there was not a tangible, measurable kind of a fulfillment of the, that pointed to the return of Christ until 1917, 1917, 1948. Then you begin to see uh, 1967, uh, the war there, the Six-Day War. Then you're seeing all these, this mobilization of bringing the Jews back. Well, what about the Jews in other places? Well, let me give you another one. Jeremiah 23.8. As the Lord lives, who brought up and led the descendants of the house of Israel from the north country. Now, the north country would be north of Israel. It's identified as what we would call today Russia. Now, watch this. And from all the countries where I have driven them, and they shall dwell in their own land. So what happens in 1989, the Berlin Wall falls, and Russia says, you know what? We're really tired of all you Jews. Would you just leave? You, we'll give you the freedom to leave. We're not holding you back for anything. So between 1989 and the year 2002, 1.1 million Russian Jews go to the land of Israel and take up citizenship. Now, I don't know about you, but that's just like odd, unless you believe in biblical prophecy. Now, let me show you something else about these last days, and this is what's really powerful. In the last days, one of the prophets... One of the prophets, Joel, said a characteristic of the last days is going to be the power of the Holy Spirit is going to come in a mighty way. This to me is greatly encouraging. It's greatly encouraging to see that God has not just left us to the mechanics of prophecy, but he's also empowering us for the kingdom of God. Joel chapter 2 and verse 23 be glad then, you children of Zion. Rejoice in the Lord your God, for he has given you the former rain faithfully, and he will cause the rain to come down for you, the former rain and the latter rain. Now, what's he saying? Whenever rain is in Scripture, it's talking about the presence of God. It's talking about the Spirit of God. He says, I brought you the former rain. I'm going to bring the latter rain. Now, if you have your Bibles, you can turn with me to the book of Joel. And chapter 2 and verse 28, there's a couple of chapters in the Bible that just are very, very important to kind of take note of um, and be observant of because what they'll do is they'll point you to some greater truth. So here's what it says, very familiar to many people. It says here in verse uh, uh, 25, listen to this. So I will restore to you the years that the swarming locusts have eaten. 
He says, Israel, I'm going to return to you all the years that the locusts have eaten. I also believe that's a promise for you and I. That God is saying, you know, have you seen some time in your life where you lost some ground? Have you taken some setbacks in your life? Do you feel like uh, you should be much further in your life, in your career, in your family, in your job, or whatever than you are right now? God says, you know, I can make up all those lost years. He says, uh, you know the crawling locusts? The consuming locusts, the chewing locusts, the great army which I sent among you? There's some things that just chew away at you, gnaw away at you. He says, I'm going to restore all of those hurts. How about the crawling things that just kind of you can't get away from? He says, I'm going to restore all of those things. And then he goes on to say this in verse 28. And it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. This is what Peter preached when he got up on the day of Pentecost. He said, listen, listen, O house of Israel. He said, this is that which was spoken of by the prophet Joel. I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams. Your young men shall see visions. And also on my men servants and my maidservants, I will pour out my spirit in those days. Okay, God's saying, I'm getting ready to do something great. And then, if you're looking at your Bible, it's really key because it says in verse 30, it takes you forward then to the return of Christ. So remember, there's time gaps in all of these portions of Scripture. It's not like it's chronological, you know, year one, year two, year three. It says, and then I will show wonders in the heavens and in the earth, blood and fire and pillars of smoke. The sun shall be darkened, the moon shall uh, into blood before the coming of the great and awesome day of the Lord. What makes that very significant is we're approaching now the second series of blood moons in the month of October that are pointing again to something very significant prophetically that we'll speak on in the month of October about the return of the Lord. So when we take our scripture and we put it all together, we see that God is up to something. God is fulfilling it. And here's, what, here's my advice. Here's where we go with this. Here's what do we do. What do we do with this information? First of all, ask to be filled with the Holy Spirit of God. You want to be under the control of the Spirit of God. You want to see things from God's perspective. You don't want to be, you know, taken off guard in any way. Secondly, you want to get ready for the revival of the last days. When God begins to move in hearts, when God begins to do things worldwide, you want to be there. You want to be ready. You want to be fired up. And how do we do that? We'd be bold for Jesus Christ. You know, boldness always works. It's amazing. We've, we have a restaurant we go to that's not far from here. And it's been amazing how many miracles we've seen, how many opportunities we've had. The owner of it said, you know, I, everywhere I go, I hear about Influence Church. I think I'm going to come down to church. You'll see people in there from our church praying over one another. Out in the parking lot praying for them. I really think it's our restaurant. We just don't have the responsibility of the revenue, but it's our restaurant. You know why? Because we take some bold steps for the kingdom of God. And you know what? The God who wrote prophecy is the God who can guide you, sustain you, and lead you in every part of your life. You never have to worry. You never have to be afraid because God who's brought you this far, God will take you the rest of the way. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's stand together and pray. Father, we know that today we've just given a lot of information, a lot of material, God, and some people maybe just be on overload when it comes to all the facts, the details, the scriptures. But I pray, God, you'll bring everything back to a single truth, a single core idea. It may be something as simple as, wow, I did not realize the Bible was so accurate. I need to put greater faith and greater trust in the Word of God. It might be something like this, that 
God, I need to be close to you. I need to know your word. God, will you speak to me? God, would you reveal more to me? Or God, given the climate we're in prophetically, I need to be bold for you. I need to speak your word wherever I go. I need to tell people about God and about what God is up to. And God, when we see things like people being healed or we see Bible clubs that are starting, we see the favor that you give us in different areas of our life, God, let us build on those things so that we, we really become a part of all that the kingdom of God is about and we become real citizens of the kingdom in a, in, a, in, a, in a demonstrative way, God. That we live out our faith every day. And God, it is our prayer, God, that we would, just, we would just ask, God, that you would just rain on us. That that latter rain of your spirit would come. God, that you would minister to every heart here today. You would touch every life, Father, with your power, with your might. Even now, would you just in your own heart, before we sing this song, would you just say, God, let it rain on me. Let it rain on me, God. Let me feel your presence in these latter days of your power. Let's just sing this song.